Welcome to Epiphany Brooklyn's podcast. I am Brandon Watts, lead pastor here at Epiph. Thanks so much for tuning in. Our desire is to join Jesus in his mission to redeem our city. May God bless you as you listen and consider subscribing so that you can tune in each week. Grace and peace. Welcome back to the Book of Daniel sermon series. Now we're in chapters 10 through 12. The goal of these chapters is to help us understand the decree concerning Jesus reigning forever. There are two main ideas we hope you walk away with. One, the angel's comfort. That throughout the breadth of scripture and history, we see angels often comforting God's people. We first saw the angel Gabriel back in chapter nine. Now, a new angel appears, Michael. And two, Daniel pointing to Jesus that Jesus Christ, our savior, will reign supreme forever and judge the living and the dead according to his righteousness. Hold on to these ideas as they're being discussed today in this week's sermon, It's All a Part of a Bigger Plan. Come on, just for a second, can we lift up a praise in this room this afternoon? Come on, what a good God we serve, a kind God that gives us the ability to be able to be in the house of the Lord. Don't take it for granted that you've made it to another day. What a good God we serve. Amen. Psalm 91 says, I will say to the Lord, my God, he is my refuge and my fortress. In him will I trust. Many of us don't even realize how God has been a refuge and a fortress for us. Many of us don't realize the stuff that he's protected you from. Grandma used to say he's kept me from dangers seen and unseen. He's kept me from all of it. And you'll never know the stuff that he's kept you from. But he's, he's a good God that, that, that loves to protect his own. Uh, it's so good to be gathered with God's people this afternoon in the house of God. Uh, I don't know if y'all are happy to see your brothers and sisters, but every time we get together, you know, the Bible says in Hebrews, don't forsake the assembly. And, and it's really good to get together, you know, and I, I'm happy to see y'all. Some of y'all haven't seen in a while. Some of y'all saw last week. And nevertheless, the affections are, are flowing. Those of you who are online, we are grateful that you are hanging with us today. Uh, I would encourage you, if you live in Brooklyn and or in surrounding areas and you consistently do online every week, every week, uh, I want to encourage you to get into the house of God. Something takes place in those hallway conversations. Something takes place when you're walking down the steps and catching up with a, with a, with a friend uh, that just can't take place when you're at home, even if it's in the chat room. So I just want to encourage you, if you are home and, and you uh, consistently just do live stream, we are grateful for live stream. Anybody grateful that we have technology that we can actually like pipe out worship, pipe out the word. But nevertheless, there's something good about being in the body and I'm not beating you guys up, but I, I never, live stream was never, at least for us, um, once we started to, and we're not fully out, but started to transition out of the pandemic, live stream for us was meant to be supplemental, not a substitute. It's, it's, like, it's like if you take sup, uh, supplements, if you take vitamins, uh, that's never meant to be the main course. That's meant to be added on. And so the live stream is, is, is there for you if you need it. And if, if you don't live in town, we are grateful that you're hanging out with us. Uh, but you live in this area, man, it's so good to get uh, together. Look at somebody and just say, I'm happy to see you today. See, y'all at home, y'all can't say that. Y'all can't look at your neighbor and say, I'm happy to see you. No, it's, um, it's, it's good to be here, man. It's good to be in person. Let's get to the word of God. That's my responsibility, and I'm excited to do so. Daniel chapter 10. Man, we are finishing up the book of Daniel today. We are doing Daniel chapter 10, Daniel 11, and Daniel chapter 12. Um, this book has been foundational for many of us. I've had conversations with some of you, and you've shared that with me. And for me as well, it's, it's been really, really good. We, as a church, started in... Technically, we started in 2016, but uh, we started meeting as a, as a group of people. It's probably about 12 of us at that time. We were meeting and, um, in 2015, and we started going through the book of Colossians. It was the first book we went through. Uh, and I, I really, there were a few times, this ain't like, I don't always feel like I hear from the Lord. You know, y'all ever been there? Sometimes it's just gray. It's nice, confusing. This isn't one of those confusing moments for me. I feel like the Lord was very clear that when the church gets moving, you have to go through books of the Bible. It's just a conviction we have for, for our church. We don't constantly stay in books, but it is something that we like to, we feel most comfortable. So we started our church, we 
went through the book of Colossians. Anybody in this room that, that was there that went through that book with us? All right, about seven, eight. Wow, that's dope. I didn't even realize that. Hey, Janelle, I ain't see you sitting on the front. Yeah, so uh, we went through the book of Colossians. We also uh, went through the book of Jonah. We went through the book of First Peter, and God used First Peter in phenomenal ways um, for our church. We went through the book of Habakkuk when nobody in the room could say Habakkuk. And, and, and then we did a half a century in the book of Romans. Why y'all doing that to me? Why y'all giving me shade with that, though? It, it took us some time. It took us time. It took some time. 16 chapters. We, uh, we went slowly. Sometimes we did one or two verses a week, and it just took us forever. Uh, but we learned. We learned from it. And so, Daniel, we were doing in a few months. And we knocked out 12 chapters. And so we're doing major themes. Nevertheless, I've, I've shared this before, but, you know, when you go through a book of the Bible, it doesn't give me the ability to be able to preach my favorite sermon and my favorite passage, which naturally your favorite preacher has a favorite passage. Your favorite preacher, your favorite YouTube preacher, you have some comfortable areas that he or she likes to preach in. And so... Um, I just, I, I think the word of God, you know, when Paul was standing before the Ephesian elders in, in, in Ephesus, in, um, I think it's Acts chapter 20, he said, I didn't shrink away from declaring to you the whole counsel of God's word. And so we want to preach the whole counsel of God's word. That means we want to preach stuff that we say amen to, and then we want to preach stuff that we walk out and we are aggravated and got an attitude with. Um, but nevertheless, God is good, man. So we're going to finish up the book today. I'm excited about it. Uh, I want to preach today from the topic entitled, It's All Part of a Bigger Plan. It's all a part of a bigger plan. Let's look to the Lord before we dig in. Father, thank you for your, for your word. Would you illuminate it today? Um, we, we don't need to find nothing, nothing new, nothing deep. We just need to hear about Jesus today. So, Father, would you bathe us in your word? Pray that your word would be a warm blanket today on a cold day. Pray, pray that you, you would just comfort us. And that's one of the things I love, Lord, about your word, that it can, it can hit 20 of us 20 different ways, but one word goes out. And so, Lord, I don't know what people walked in here with today. I don't, I don't know what the week looked like and what the home situation looks like. But here's what I know, that you're good. Here's what I know, that your word is true. Here's what I know, that your word is sufficient. So may we rely on it today as we talk about how it's all a part of a bigger plan. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Would you just look at your neighbor real quick and say, it's all part of a bigger plan. Ah, man, the Lord just said that one the right neighbor. Look at somebody else and say, it's all a part of a bigger plan. A few weeks ago, Ty and I were, um, we were on... Uh, on the train headed to the city. Every Friday, we, we typically take off. We try to do, on a budget, but we try to do like some type of small breakfast every single week together, just kind of hold hands, walk around. We go everywhere, but this specific day, we were going into the city and jumped on the A train. And, um, and when we were on the train, you know, something is always happening in the subway. You know, I, be, I be trying to tell my boys, don't just walk in the subway, will you too, with them, with them earphones on and pay, not paying attention to the world around you, because you'll get God in these, in these subway streets. And so we, we were in the subway, and, um, and so we were sitting down, and this guy gets on, and he has a box, a cardboard box, three cups, and a little, little pea-sized ball. And he sits down, not too far from us, but kind of adjacent to us. And he pulls out the cardboard box and he puts it down, sets it up, puts a little cloth on top. He pulls out the three cups. He pulls out that, that little pea-sized ball. And y'all know the game he was about to play. He put the ball underneath one of those cups and he just kind of shuffled them around. And he's joking around, you know, who can guess where, you know, which one has the ball? And somebody guessed and they were right. So he was like, I bet you can't do it again. Put $5 on it. So the guy put $5 on it. The, 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 car, the, the, the game owner, you know, moved it around. And the guy picked the right cup again. So the card owner, the, the game owner, lost the, the $5. So he gave him the $5. He did it about four or five times. And then somebody was like, yo, put $10 on it. He kept losing. The guy kept losing. Put $20 on it. He kept losing. And then finally, somebody was like, put 100 on it. The guy was like, shoot, shoot, started moving stuff around. And the guy won this time. And he did it again. Somebody was like, put another 100 on it. And he won again. And then finally, it went up before we got off at Spring Street, which means we switched over to the sea somewhere. But before we got off at Spring Street, 
it went up to $250. And when we were getting off, there was a guy that lost $250 to the game owner. And it hit me when I got off. It hit me like a Liberty Bell. Now, y'all, y'all, I'm not from New York. Y'all from Brooklyn. So y'all, y'all might have been a little quick with the uptake. I didn't realize that losing was actually a part of his strategy. Oh, y'all, y'all knew that. Losing was a part of the strategy. He was willing to lose $5. He was willing to lose $10. He was willing to lose $20 because when the big bet started coming in, he was not losing anymore. And seemingly, because he, he, he wasn't really losing, he was letting himself lose. So seemingly, losing was always a part of the plan. Okay, I'm no longer on the A train. I'm now in the book of Daniel. When you go through the book of Daniel, you would have noticed, and chapter 10, 11, and 12 is the same thing. You would have noticed that it seemingly, it looks like God's people are losing. They are in exile right now. They are not in Jerusalem. So they're in Babylon. Babylon has taken them over. They, they are what we would call uh, refugees. They are living in a pagan, ta- a pagan uh, a t- a country. They, they are being told about this Antichrist. Y'all remember we were in chapter 7, chapter 8, the Antichrist is coming. They were told about other uh, nations that would rise up and be violent. Bible says that Rome has iron teeth. That's in the book of Daniel. It's so many things that are going on in the book of Daniel. And I'm reading, I'm going, yo, your people are taking an L, God. They, 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 they look like they're losing, but here's the question. Are they really losing? Because what God likes to do is God likes to play that game with the cups. And seemingly, he makes it seem as though we are losing when in reality, he uses all of it. There's not a season. Now, let me get out of Daniel. Let me just get into the rest of the Bible. Do you know how many times you can read throughout Scripture and look and be like, man, God, it it just don't look like you with your people. Look at Esther, the book of Esther. The Persians took over Israel, and Israel is once again under another nation's control. Go to the New Testament. Rome has taken over, and they are in complete control all of the New Testament. Look at the cross. It looks like Jesus took an L when he died on the cross, but the Baptist will say early on Sunday morning he gets up with all power in his hand. Why? Because God likes to use setbacks as part of his agenda. I'm preaching already. I don't know if y'all waiting for me to get ended. Like I'm already preaching because there's somebody that walked in here and you're like, oh man, it's been a hard season since the pandemic started. This has been a hard season, but God uses hard seasons to make you a more well-rounded Christian. We need a better theology for go-through. Because go through trials and hardship is an ingredient as part of the recipe. Does that make sense? You know, when you're making, you're baking a cake, if I was making banana bread, you know, bananas is an ingredient that is palatable. But baking soda needs to go in there too. And if anybody in this room just took a spoonful of baking soda and just ate it, it don't taste well. It's not, a, it's not palatable. But guess what? You make that same loaf or you make a pound cake without the, the, the powder, without the baking powder, it's going to be flat. It's going to taste nasty. And so it's a necessary ingredient. And here's why it's necessary. Because I can take a nasty baking soda and put it up against a good sugar and a good banana and, and some, some, some flour and make something special. That is what God does with trials. You think that the trial was meant to take you out. But God takes it and he bumps it up against seasons of success. He bumps it up against seasons of of, of prosperity. He bumps it up against seasons where everything is well. He bumps it up against seasons of joy. And you're sitting there going, God, would you take out this hard season? God is like, if I take it out, you won't be well-rounded. And so I got to leave you in the oven for a little bit longer. And when I leave you in the oven, I'm going to make sure that you come out fully done. God uses all seasons. He's not surprised at hardship. He's never surprised. Let me say it in other words. God is incapable of ever being surprised. Incapable. He's not in heaven going, oh, my God, I didn't see that coming. Spirit, what happened? Why weren't you on top of things? The spirit wasn't going, geez, I thought you died for that. They're not in heaven confused. They all are in cahoots. So that means when the pandemic hit, God wasn't surprised. He knew about it. Okay, that means when you got that bad diagnosis, God wasn't surprised. He knew about it. That that means when you lost that job, God wasn't surprised. He knew about it. That means when he broke your heart, 
God wasn't surprised. He knew about it. And what he does is he delights in using hardship because it makes you better. Somebody look at your name and say, he uses everything. Everything, all, all, all seasons of life, there is not a wasted season with God. There are seasons that you feel are unproductive. There are seasons that you feel are, are, are painful. And there are seasons that you are crying. But even that season, he uses. And here's what I know. Some of you came in right now, and you're in that season right now. So we arrive at a passage. I got to get in it. We arrive at a passage, really chapters, that are going to show us how God uses everything. And I'm not just talking Daniel 10, 11, and 12, but he uses all of the book of Daniel. Now, remember, we, we talked about rising empires, Persia. We talked about uh, 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 Antiochus Epiphanes and how he would kill people and he would cause Jews, which actually happened in history. And he would cause the Jews to eat pork in the holies of holies. He was, he was, he was ruthless. And we talked about all these, all these violent leaders. And you read this and you can walk away depressed or we can walk away and say, oh, God, you've got to figure out how to use this to, to, to bring to bring about your agenda, to bring about your will. There's a famous theologian, a guy by the name of Martin Luther. He's the great reformer, uh, not to be confused with Martin Luther King. Uh, this is the Martin Luther that nailed the 95 thesis on the Wittenberg door in 1517. Here's what he says about Daniel chapter 10, 11, and 12. His commentary says, Daniel concludes the record of his terrifying visions and dreams on a note of joy. Pointing to the coming of Christ's eternal reign and glory. Whoever wants to study them profitably, profitably dare not focus his attention on the details of the vision and dreams, but seek comfort in the Savior, Jesus Christ, whom they portray, and in the deliverance he brings from sin and misery. In other words, Martin Luther said, look, in the, in the greater scheme of things, in the meta narrative of Scripture, don't look at the details of chapter 10. Chapter 10, 11, and 12 almost reads like 7 and 8. You hear about the Antichrist. You hear about these visions. It seems confusing. But at the end of the day, I think we need to find our fulfillment in Jesus Christ. If I, if, you, if I preach today and you walk out and you only hear about Daniel's visions and Daniel's dreams and you don't get to Christ, I've done you a disservice today. Because that is what these passages will lead us to. All right, let's get into it. Verse 1, we're in chapter 10. Uh, I realized in the first service, I kind of was all over the place, and there's no good remedy. So if y'all just bear with me, I promise I'll do better next week. But I'm going to be all over the place um, just because of how, to, how, how, it, how, it, how it's laid out. Look at verse 1. It says, In the third year of Cyrus, king of Persia, a word was revealed to Daniel who was named Belteshazzar, and the word was true, and it was a great conflict. And he understood the word and had understanding of the vision. Pay attention to this. In those days, I, Daniel, was mourning for three weeks. I ate no delicacies, no meat, no wine entered my mouth, nor did I anoint myself at all for the full three weeks. On the 24th day of the first month, I was standing at the bank of the river that is the Tigris. I lifted up my eyes and I looked and behold, a man clothed in linen with a belt of fine gold of upaz around his waist. His body was like burl, his face like the appearance of lightning, his eyes like flaming torches, his arms and legs are the, the gleam of burnished bronze. And the sound of his words like the sound of the multitude. And I, Daniel, alone saw the vision. For the men who were with me did not see the vision, but, the, but, but a great trembling fell upon them. And I fled and I hid myself. So I was left alone and I saw a great vision and no strength was left in me. My radiant appearance was fearfully changed and I retained no strength. I heard the sound of his words, and as I heard the sound of his words, I fell on my face in a deep sleep with my face on the ground. And behold, a hand touched me and, and set me trembling on my hands and knees. And he said to me, O Daniel, man greatly loved, understand the words that I speak to you and stand upright. For now I have been sent to you. And when he spoke these words 
to me, I stood up trembling. Now, don't miss this. This is, this is, this is still the angel Gabriel. Y'all remember chapter 9? Y'all remember chapter 8 when, when Daniel was all fearful and Daniel was all messed up? The Bible said he was so messed up by the visions, he was sick physically. And the Bible says that God sent Gabriel down in order to, to comfort him. Well, here you have it again. This is still Gabriel. But if you notice in verse 13, it says the prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me for 21 days. But Michael, okay, so in the midst of mourning, in the midst of turmoil, in the midst of hardship, Daniel is comforted, but he's comforted not just by anybody. He's comforted by the angel Gabriel, and he's comforted by the angel Michael. Now, don't miss this. These ain't just regular angels. Jude will say they're archangels. This is the best of the best. This is the cream of the crop. In other words, when God saw that Daniel was in emotional turmoil, he sent help. And here's why you should be rejoicing about that. Because oftentimes when we're in the midst of hardship, I said some of y'all came in with the hardship and we're in the midst of hardship because it don't feel good. It feels like our prayers don't get through to God. It feels like God ain't, ain't, ain't with us. It feels like God left us. Some of y'all are questioning right now, like, God, are you still on my side? But when I read this, I realize every single time you were in an emotional, stressful turmoil, he always sends help. He, he always sends help. And here's what I would say to those of you who are experiencing it right now. Hold on just a little bit longer. He always comes through. The psalmist says, he's the lifter of my head. That the psalmist will go on to say, I look to the hills from which cometh my help. Why? Because God always sends help in the midst of hardship. This man right now, he is messed up. Three weeks, he says, I'm in mourning. He said, I ain't eating no delicacies. Remember, he lives in the king's palace, so he, he gets good food. He says, I ain't drinking no wine. He says, he says, I didn't anoint myself. In other words, I didn't put any oil on my body. There's another translation that reads this way. I use no lotion at all. Can you imagine? He's he, he so messed up. His elbows is ashy. His kneecaps is ashy. His ankles, you know, that crust that go in between here. He, he all crusty. He's messed up. And why is he messed up? All because of the visions. All because of the dreams. He's emotionally, and in the midst of his emotional turmoil, God says, Gabriel, get down there. But, but Gabriel gets held up, it says in verse 13. Oh, Gabriel's held up. Michael, get down there. In other words, God cares so much about what you are going through. He is always willing to send help. And I don't know what the angels did when they got down. Maybe they took some shea butter and kind of worked his knees in. Maybe he turned an oil diffuser on, an essential oil diffuser, put a little chamomile behind his ear. I don't know what he did, but he comforted him. And that's what I want you to understand about your God. That your God in the midst of hardship cares about your comfort. Cares about your hardship cares about your trial. We serve a God that is good. Don't question God when you're in the midst of hardship. He's always good and he always sends help. Now, here's the thing. You might not open your eyes and see Michael. You might not be touched by Gabriel. And here's what I, man, I said this in the first service. It's so funny when you read through the New Testament or just scriptures in general, God always used angels to comfort his people. What about Joseph, when he was ready to divorce Mary because he thought Mary, you know, was, was doing her thing on the side. In Matthew chapter 1, the Bible says that God sent an angel to comfort Joseph. Well, what about uh, uh, the two Marys at the tomb? When they're at the dead by the tomb with, with, with Jesus inside, and the Bible says that an angel comes and says, fear not. What about Philip? In Acts chapter 8, he's in Samaria and ministry is going well. And he's sent to the desert to, to save an Ethiopian eunuch. I have no time to deal with the fact that Ethiopia would have got the gospel long before it hit Europe. I ain't got no time to deal with that. But the point I'm making is, it's so funny to me that when, some, when, when he needed to know, Philip needed to know which direction to go. You know what God did? He sent the angel. What about Jesus? Jesus created the angels. Remember the Bible says in Colossians 1 that all things were made through him and for him. So in other words, there's not an angel that was created that wasn't made without Jesus' special touch. Everything in creation, in, in, in this world, but also in the heavens where they all wear the same label made by Jesus. But Jesus needed a moment where even he was comforted by angels. You remember when he's in the Garden of Gethsemane? Bible says he's in the garden. And what does God do? 
God sends an angel to comfort Jesus. What about when he was in the wilderness? And the Bible says that the devil was tempting him. What does God do? God sends an angel, but that verse says to minister to him. How do you minister to the one that is ministry? How do you minister to the one that is all, is everything that we need? But the Bible says that the angels comfort him. And so God always sends comfort. And it may not, that's the thing. We know most of the time we missed it. And the reason we miss it is because the, the comfort that he sends isn't packaged the way we want it. Take this note down. God sends help, but oftentimes the help is not packaged the way you want it. You know, one of the ways God sends help, LaJoyce, one of the ways that God sends help and comfort and hardship is through therapy. Okay, y'all, I didn't get enough amens right there. Because we've over-spiritualized our trauma for too long. Like, like some of you, the deepest thing you could do this week is not open up your Bible. The deepest thing you can do is after opening your Bible, go ahead and book that therapy session. Because that's one of the ways I believe that God gifts people with the right special giftings to ask you the right questions, to help you to work through trauma, to help you to work through childhood issues, to help you to work through uh, daddy issues, to help you to work through uh, the trauma of losing a loved one. I believe that God uses therapists all the time. And, you know, this is just not one of those churches where I'm like, yo, just come to the altar and go back to your seat and you're going to be good. No, after you go back to your seat, pull out your phone, call back up that therapist and talk to them and say, I need to talk to you tomorrow. I got some more stuff that I need to work through because I believe that God comforts the body emotionally through therapy, through counseling. You know, another way, another way that God comforts his people in hardship is giving you the ability to set boundaries. I need somebody to say amen right there. Even with family. Some, somebody said especially with family. You know, there's a reason why when Noah was on the boat for 40 days, he gets off and, 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 and plants a vineyard and gets drunk. There's a reason he had to have a little drink. You spend 40 days on the boat with just your family. Bible says... That God usually does comfort through boundaries and getting rest. I know this is not deep enough. I get it. I understand. Yo, I'm thinking about First, uh, first Kings 19, where the Bible says the prophet Elijah was so emotionally messed up. Do you know he asked God, could he die? First Kings 19, he was on the run. He was tied at King Ahab. He was short tied at Jezebel. And he was trying to figure out life. And finally, he gets to the point where he's like, God, I'm so emotionally messed up. And I got so much anxiety. Just go ahead and dismiss your boy. Dismiss your servant. Let me die. Do you know what God does? God doesn't kill him. God puts him to sleep. God says, go ahead, just take a nap up under the tree. And then after he wakes up, you know what he does? He gives them food. In other words, he cares for his physical needs because I believe, I believe that our emotional being, our physical being, and our spiritual being have a connection, and God wants you holistically healthy. I'm, te I'm telling you, forget the days that we just come in church, we sing, and we shout, and we go home, and we all emotionally messed up. When I'm emotionally messed up, it messes me up physically. When I'm physically messed up, it messes me up spiritually. When my eating habits is all over the place because I'm emotionally eating, I'm all over the place spiritually, and I know it's real for somebody in this room. God sends help by you saying, I got to set boundaries. I can't go today. I can't do that today. And sometimes you have to disappoint, disappoint people in order to receive the help that God gives you. But it's not packaged with Gabriel coming and sitting in the living room. You know another way he does it? He gives us help through the body. He, one of the ways that God comforts us is through community. And this is why I wasn't beating y'all online. I wasn't beating you up. I'm just saying I understand. Y'all don't, I think we don't understand the importance of community in our spiritual growth. I don't think we understand it, but community is everything. And this is why we, this is why Gabe says, we go, hey, y'all need to, can y'all serve downstairs in the kids' room? It's not just that we need people, although we do, but part of the benefit of serving is community. Yeah. You get to meet people. You get to know your brothers and you get to know your sisters. I never forget when Ty had two back surgeries in 2018. Some of y'all would know that, know this because she kind of presents, she presents well, but you know, she seems like she's, you know, full of uh, health and energy. But in 2018, she had a back surgery, and the back surgery didn't go well. It didn't go well at all. In fact, 
She had to get another back surgery, a corrective back surgery, 10 days later. And so for 10 days between that first date when she had the back surgery, it was October 18th, 2018, that first back surgery to the second back surgery, she couldn't walk. I had to walk her to the bathroom. I had to sit her down on the toilet. I had to help her get in the shower. I had to help her put her shoes on. I had to help her. I, she did no cooking. She couldn't stand. I had to do everything around the house. And it was, I'm telling you, emotionally, it was a burden. But you know what blessed me? Every time I looked up, the body was helping. I mean, the community did a meal train. We had so much food coming in and out that house. Tisha made this roasted chicken that's still in my spirit. Still, it's somewhere in my spirit somewhere. In fact, it was so good, I almost called Ed and said, when it was done, I almost called Ed and said, hey, my, my back messed up too. Can you, can, you, can you do a little something, something for me as well? You know how God comforted your boy through y'all? Some of y'all sitting in here right now, and my boys are here. They can attest. We had so much food that we couldn't even close the refrigerator. I didn't have to cook for weeks because the body, that's how God comforts us. And so don't be sitting there going, well, he ain't sent Michael. He ain't comfort me. You know who he sent? The person next to you. God, Gabriel ain't touched me. He ain't with me. No, you know who touches you? Your girl, your, your community. I need somebody to say amen right there. God always comforts us and he comforts us in the times of stress. So Daniel right now is stressed. He's messed up. He's like three weeks. I ain't eating. No delicacies, I'm not eating. No wine, I'm not putting no oil on. I'm just, I'm messed up. And God sends Gabriel down. And then God sends the archangel Michael down to comfort him. Here's the question. Why is he messed up? He's messed up because the days ahead of him are dark. Look at chapter 11. Look at verse 36. It says, and the king shall do as he will, as he wills. Talking about the Antichrist. He shall exalt himself and magnify himself above every God. He shall speak astonishing things against the God of gods. He shall prosper until the indignation is accomplished for what he has decreed shall be done. Let, let me jump real quick to chapter 12, verse number one. It says, and there shall be a time of trouble such as never has been since there was a nation till that time. In other words, He's messed up because the visions that he's getting is dark. The visions that he's getting is about the Antichrist. And y'all remember when we were in chapter 7 and chapter 8, and the Bible says that Antichrist is going to devour much flesh. So mass killings, genocide. But here's the thing. Those of you who are Christians in this room, please don't think we've arrived at some Christian utopia. Days are getting darker. The last time I talked to y'all and we was together, I was going, yo, one of the ways, don't be looking for the Antichrist at some point. Yeah, he's going to come. But remember, first John said the spirit of the Antichrist is already here. And so the spirit of the Antichrist works itself out through, uh, through genocide, through, 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 through human trafficking, through slavery, through racism, through mass uh, shootings, mass shootings, mass shootings. First of all, I feel like many of us have become numb to mass shootings. I just talked to y'all two weeks ago, two weeks ago. And I was like, look, man, these mass shootings, this ain't political. It's a spiritual thing. It's a spiritual battle. But guess what? Since I talked to you two weeks ago, we've already had Texas. We've already had Buffalo. This year alone, 213 shootings, mass shootings have happened. Like this isn't political because what will happen is the Republicans are going to say, Take a, you know, don't touch our guns. And the Democrats are going to say, we need stricter gun laws. And you can get caught up in the, in, in the politics if you want to. I choose to go deeper. At the end of the day, it's the spirit of the Antichrist. It is evil. It's not just that you were raised wrong. You are evil. It is an evil dealing. And so Daniel's like, I'm all messed up. Why am I messed up? Because I'm hearing about Persia rising. They're godless. I hear about Greece rising. They're godless. I hear about Rome rising. They're god this is all his vision. They're godless. And then I hear that there's a kingdom that's going to arise and it's going to be uh, uh, headed up by the Antichrist. That makes him sick. That makes him messed up because things will get bad. There's a ministry by the name of Open Doors Ministries. And Open Doors Ministries, what, what they do is basically they help the persecuted church. And many times, because you're in this room, you're, you're not under any persecution in this room. 
Like persecution ain't your lights got cut off. Like that ain't persecution. Persecution ain't, you know, she ain't talking to me. Persecution is real. And, the, and, and Open Doors Ministry says that the persecute, persecution against Christians is, is as high now as it's ever been. This is what they said. 340 million Christians live in places where they experience high level of persecution. The highest in history last year, this is 2021, almost 5,000 believers were martyred because of their faith. See, you don't experience that. I ain't say 5,000 Christians died. 5,000 Christians were killed because of their faith. They go on to say 4,000 Christian churches were burned. Another 4,000 Christians were imprisoned, many without trial because of their faith. Things are getting dark. So when Daniel chapter 12, verse 1 said that there should be a time of trouble that we've never seen before, we're living in it, but don't get it twisted. It's going to get worse. I ain't trying to scare you. I ain't trying to mess you up. But this is also why we need to submit to a deeper level of discipleship. Because our discipleship, unfortunately, not just, not just here, but unfortunately, if we're not careful, our discipleship will be, don't eat edibles, don't have sex, you good, go out there in the world. But we need a discipleship that says, you better learn how to put on the whole armor of God. Because we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. We wrestle against spiritual wickedness and evilness in high places. I need a discipleship that's going to teach me how to read my word. Why? Because I don't want to leave home without my sword. I need a discipleship that's going to teach me how to be disciplined in prayer. Why? Because I need to communicate with my God because there are times where I need divine intervention. I don't just need stop having sex discipleship. I need a discipleship that goes deeper. And so Daniel is all messed up. He's messed up because since chapter 6, he's been getting visions of what's to come. And by the way, his visions have been accurate. Can I give you one of his visions that's accurate? Just as it's been decreed through Daniel, through Daniel that hardship and persecution will continue to happen, Jesus, the remedy, has also been given as a decree in the text today. Go to chapter 9. And I really need you all to go to chapter 9. And listen, if you all check out. Any other times, cool. Don't check out right here. Because I need you to make sense of verse 24 to verse 26. Because many of us read it and we quickly skimmed over it. But this is the cleanest beeline that we get to the cross in all of the book of Daniel. I'm going to read it and then I just want to put on a professor hat and just do some math real quick. Verse 24 says, 70 weeks are decreed about your people and your holy city to finish the transgression, to put it into sin, to atone for iniquity. This sounds like the cross. To bring everlasting righteousness, to seal both the vision and the prophet, and to anoint the most holy place. Know, therefore, and understand that from the going out of the word to restore and build Jerusalem to the coming of the anointed one, a prince, there shall be seven weeks. He's, so these next numbers are just describing verse 24. It's going to be seven weeks. It says, then for 62 weeks, there shall be built, it should be built again with squares and mount, but in, tr- but in troubled time. Verse 26, after the 62 weeks, the anointed one shall be cut off and shall have nothing. Don't miss what Daniel's doing right now. Daniel is prophesying not just anything. He's prophesying what's going to crush sin. He's prophesying what's going to atone for sin. He's prophesying what's going to bring everlasting righteousness. He's prophesying what's going to pull the trump card on the Antichrist. And he's giving us clear instructions on the cross. Can we do some math real quick, y'all? Y'all stay with me. I need y'all to pull out a calculator because I need y'all to give me these numbers real quick. Whenever the Bible talks about numbers in terms of weeks. So if it just said 70, that's one thing, but it says 70 weeks. Jewish custom, whenever it's talking about weeks, it's talking about periods of seven. So it could be a period of seven days, it could be a period of seven months, or it could be a period of seven years. In our case, it is a period of seven years. So when he says 70 weeks, he's not just saying 70 weeks. He's saying 70 times seven. That's the number of years. And by the way, 
Jewish ancient custom, they didn't use the 365-day calendar. They used the 360-day calendar. This makes sense. Please wait in, until we get to the end of this. I need you all to do the math for, for, for one second. Verse 24 said there's going to be 70 weeks. All right, y'all see that? 70 weeks are going to be decreed, but we have to do 70 times 7 because of Jewish custom. What is 70 times 7? Y'all are so great with math. 490. Okay. Now let's get down. So somewhere around 490 years, something's going to happen that's going to atone for sin. Something's going to happen that's going to atone for iniquity. Something's going to happen that's going to bring everlasting righteousness. But if you go down to, 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 to verse 25, here's the question. When does that 490 years start? When, when, does, when do we get to start counting those years? You have to start it. Verse 25, here's the answer. It says, know that from the going out, know therefore and understand that from the going out of the word to restore and build Jerusalem. So don't miss this. Whenever the decree goes out to build up Jerusalem, start the 490 years. So when did the decree go out? Nehemiah. Nehemiah chapter 2, the Bible says that Nehemiah, Nehemiah chapter 1, he's sitting in, in, in Persia. And he's sitting there and he, he, he's, he hears word that Jerusalem has been torn down and the walls lie in ruin. See, this is why the Bible, this is why Nehemiah ain't just about walls. It's fulfilling prophecy. So the Bible says that Nehemiah prays all of chapter one. He rips his clothes, he fasts, and then he goes back to work. Where does he work? He works for King Artaxerxes. King Artaxerxes sees Nehemiah down and he says to him, why is your face long? Why is your face down? And he says, well, my hometown, Jerusalem, has been torn down. He gives a decree. He says, go build Jerusalem. He gives him money. He gives him letters in order to have safe passage. He pulls in cedar from Lebanon. So he gives him everything he needs to build up Jerusalem. When did Nehemiah 2 take place? Don't miss this, 445 B.C. 445 B.C. is when the book of Nehemiah was written. So 490 years starts at, 400, at, at 445 B.C. We good so far? Let's go down a, a, another verse. Look at verse 25. Now, the next numbers are simply going to um, describe verse 24. So he says, know, therefore, and understand from the going out of the word to restore the build and build, rebuild Jerusalem to the coming of the anointed one. There shall be seven weeks. So we have to do seven times how many? There we go. Y'all paying attention. Seven times seven is what? 49. Okay, so we got to do something with that 49. Remember, we're trying to get here, close to here. And then he says, then 62 weeks shall be built again, a square, a, a, a squares in amount, but in troubled time. So we have to do 62 times seven is what? Y'all ain't confident. It's what? 434. Okay, so let's do this. 434. I'm going to move down. So we have to do these numbers together. Let's do the seven weeks is 40, seven times seven. Y'all said was 49. Plus, not times. Hold up. Plus the 62 times seven. Y'all told me was 434. What number is that? See, y'all was good with the seven times seven. Y'all like, 49. Now we get to the big numbers. Y'all like, I don't know. What's the number? 483? All right, 483. Let's stop there. He says in 483 years from the decree, so from 445 B.C., King Artaxerxes decrees to build Jerusalem. He says in 483 years, something's going to happen. What's going to happen? The anointed one shall be cut off. If you do the math from 445 B.C. and you, do, you add 483 years with a 360-day calendar, it puts us at 32 A.D. I need somebody spiritual to understand what happened in 32 A.D. What happened in 32 A.D.? Okay, let me, let me make it easier. Jesus dies at 33. Somewhere between 30... And 33 A.D., the cross happens. So what Daniel just said to you wasn't just some weeks. What Daniel just explained to you is what is going to crush the Antichrist, the cross. 
He says, 483 years from now, this guy coming that's anointed is going to be cut off. Let me go deeper. Jesus on the cross, he's going, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. Why have you forsaken me? Why does he say that? Because he was cut off. And so the one, the anointed one that is going to crush sin, I'm back in verse 24, the anointed one that's going to atone for my iniquity, the anointed one that's going to bring me everlasting righteousness, Daniel just got the details, it's going to happen 483 years from now. Now here's why you should be rejoicing, because a God that gives that level of detail got to be in control of all of it. Because he can't give that detail if he ain't in control of every aspect. And so the rising of Persia had purpose. And, and so the rising of Rome had purpose. And so the rising of Greece had purpose. The rising of King Artaxerxes had purpose. And you sit there going, oh, but they all pagan. God uses everything. And let me get out of Daniel real quick and get in your life. When you look at your life and you look back at the hardship and you go, God, why would I have to go through that? The rising of that situation had purpose. The hardship had purpose. What you were dealing with and the weight you are feeling right now has purpose because a God who is in control of the details is a God that knows all things. Now, let me tell you something. Let me tell you something. Those of you who are, who are in this room right now, when you read the Bible, if it don't give you goosebumps, you ain't reading it right. I was messed up this week. Ty was in the backyard. I read this. I ain't ever seen this. It's like, you ever read a, a, a passage and, and you, you know, you were familiar with it and you was like, God, you just dropped that out of nowhere. I, didn't, I, like, I just feel like these verses just came out of nowhere. But really what God was doing was illuminating his word and the hairs on my arms started standing up. I'm like, God, 483 years from now, from this time, you're going to send somebody that's going to atone for sin. And that's exactly what Jesus does. I need somebody to give Jesus a praise for crushing sin. The Bible says in Galatians chapter 4, Paul says, in the fullness of time, Christ sent his son. God waited for a specific purpose. Now, some of y'all in here going, well, if he know all the details, that means I'm, I'm like a cosmic wind-up clock. Like, he just, you know, I, I just run off of whatever he does. No, you actually have free will. The choice is 100% yours. The outcome is 100% his. Let me say that again. The choice is 100% yours. You chose it. But the outcome, whether good or bad, is 100% his. And he uses all things. So what God is in heaven doing is he pulled out the cardboard box. He pulled out the red cups. And he's strategically moving stuff. And it looks like setbacks. But the setbacks always is God trying to accomplish something greater. Let me end here. Look at chapter 12. Y'all good? We good for another few minutes? I'm way over time. But we, we end in the book here. Thank you. I appreciate that. Look at verse 1. At, their time, at that time, there shall arise Michael. I want you all to study Michael and his, his connection to Israel during this time. He's, he's the one that's supposed to make sure that Israel is protected, even in hardship. But I want you all to study that later. It says, there shall arise Michael, the great prince who has charge over your people. And there shall be a time of trouble that has never been seen before, or never been, been since the nations till this time. Watch this. But, uh, but at that time, your people shall be delivered, everyone whose name is found written in the book. Verse 2, and many uh, of those who fall asleep in the dust of the earth shall be awakened to everlasting life. Okay, but what, what happens to the rest of them? And some to shame and everlasting contempt. He just said, there's going to be a book, and trust me, this the book, your name better be in. This, the, you know, a FOMO, this is the greatest FOMO right here. The fear of missing out on putting your name in this book. Here's the question I have for everybody in this room. Is your name in the book? Notice I didn't ask you if you came to church today. Because a lot of times people think, my name's in the book, I'm here. There's going to be a lot of churchgoers, name ain't in the book. Oh, yeah, they, they, he talks about it with the separation of the goats and the sheep. There's going to be a lot of people that say, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name? Lord, didn't we cast out demons in your name? And God's going to be like, depart from me. I don't even know who you are. That scares me. There are some people that showed up to church and your name might not be in the book, but you owe it to yourself to know if your name's in the book. Well, Pastor B, how do I get my name in the book? It's so simple. Trusting in the finished work of Jesus. 
trusting in what Daniel just pointed, to, pointed us to, this work called the cross where he redeems us, trusting in the guidance and the, and, and the leading of Jesus Christ. That's how your name becomes in that book. You ain't got to take a test. You ain't got to jump through no hoops. Your good ain't got to outweigh your bad. You simply got to trust in Jesus and you good. Who is it in this room? Two things. Number one, you know that you've never professed faith in Jesus. And if you have, you haven't really believed it. You haven't really lived up to it. Second person I, I just want to pray for is the person that you know you've been dealing with a lot of hardship and a lot of baggage. And here's the thing. You don't feel like God is using it all. But Jair, he's using it all. Not, nothing's undone. Not, he, nothing's outside of him. He uses all of it. And so the ingredients of your life right now, God, you might be in the mixing bowl. He might be, he might be mixing you up. It's a little bit of joy, a little bit of pain, a little bit of success, a little bit of step backs, a little bit of mourning. But he uses it all. Because the Christian faith is never the absence of problems. It's the presence of Jesus in the problems. That's the, that's the Christian face. And, that, and that's what I can promise you. I am not that pastor that's going to say, look, you come to Jesus and everything's good. No, you come to Jesus and it, it, sometimes it gets worse. But he stirs it. He stirs it. And the final product is when he presents you, as the book of Jude says, as holy and as blameless and as spotless. Every head bowed and every eye closed. Our prayer team is going to be up to the left of me right here right after service. And I really, there's somebody in this room. Number one, you know you need to give your life to the Lord. The pandemic ain't teach you anything. Life is fleeting. You need to give your life to the Lord today. But there's somebody else that needs prayer. And the prayer that you need is because you've been dealing with that weight and you feel like God ain't in it. He's near to the brokenhearted and saves those that is crushed in spirit. He comforts us. So I simply want to pray for you now, but I want to invite you to come up here and pray after service. Our prayer team will be right here. Father, I thank you for everybody in this room. I don't know why, Lord. I'm not just praying for those seated. I'm praying for those serving. Because sometimes we serve and we serve on E. Not just in this room, but somebody in that tech room. We serve and we, we, we don't feel a real connection to you. We don't feel like you care. But God, if you were willing to send Gabriel and then you were willing to send the archangel Michael in order to comfort your people and ultimately you're willing to send your son. Father, you care about our hurt. You care about our pain. And so, Father, I want to pray for every one of us in this room. Maybe you not walk away from this book of Daniel and be confused with all the visions and details. Maybe you rest in the work of Christ. Because you've conquered sin for us. You've conquered death for us. You've, you've, you've done what we couldn't do, which was satisfy your wrath. Oh, I messed up. We could do it in hell. But when we get with you, Lord, it's because somebody else has done the work for us, namely your son, Jesus. And so, Father, we thank you. We give him complete praise. We give him complete glory and honor because there is nobody worthy like him. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.